BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Scared to death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Green Spears, Robert Animals. Oh my God, you're on so much crap. What a terrible way that would be just to start off every show. Now, welcome to Scared to Death. Uh, (laughs) There would be so many people who just hit pause immediately and they were like, oh my gosh, do I have it on quadruple speed? No, Dan's just being a ding dong. (laughs) Yep, I'm Dan. This is Lindsay. Um, Thank you for all the recent ratings and reviews. Keep them coming. Very motivating. uh, Very, very much appreciated. Uh, we have some new stuff in the badmagicmerch.com store since I spoke about it last, including the Keeper of of Fire tea and zip-up hoodie. Uh, super cool depiction of death holding the fire of life in its front and back design at badmagicmerch.com. And that's it for our announcements. That's it. Uh, that's all we got. That's all we got. Okay, bye. <laughs> uh, we are, I know it's past Halloween, obviously, but it feels like the horror season just with how dark it is. Like we are in the oh. dark, dark season right now I where know. sunset heading towards December 21st, the winter solstice, it, it gets closer and closer to uh, like 350, Three. 355 uh-huh. is sunset. Sun doesn't come up until about seven. It's it's rough. I'm feeling and then it's it cloudy. Today. And then it's cloudy. But it, but it is great weather for horror. Yeah, that's true. So some dark days, good for horror. Uh, I have two stories. How about you? I also have two. If okay. You, if you can even believe it. Two and two. Do you want to set up yours first or uh, me? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, my two stories today. My first story is the tale of the Glen House and its family. It's an old house, uh, history there, but it's like cool to hear it from somebody just like our age. Like, yeah. oh, my family owned this home and here's the history of it. And it's a historical thing and they brought her out to look at it. And it's it's pretty interesting. And then my second story I will just say for the parents who listen with their kids, uh, you might want to sk- like skim this one first. It's not particularly graphic, but the message at the end I think could be really complex. So okay. I just want to give a little warning there. Okay, I'm intrigued. Uh, yeah, it's is a really good story about how spirits might talk to us in ways that we don't particularly think of them coming to us. Okay. Uh, I, my two, uh, the first I have is set less than a five hour drive from where we sit right now. Oh no. Just outside the little Eastern Oregon city of La Grande. Okay, good. I haven't been there, so I don't feel scared. Uh, it's a really cute town actually. We'll be, we'll be learning about the allegedly haunted Hot Lake Spring, Hot Lake Springs Hotel, a unique modern encounter tale coming from a journal 
left for guests to write about their state. Like in the rooms, there would oh. be journals. Um, and then we'll learn uh, what the wonderful actress and author Carrie Fisher had yeah. to say about the paranormal before she passed away too soon back in 2016. Uh, do you want to put on your spoopy socks to get ready? I, I already have them on. I don't want to put them on. I've got They're them on. on. They're on. Uh, big thanks to numerous Scared to Death fans, by the way, for popping into my stand-up shows in Lexington and giving you so, so many new socks that'll be coming soon. Yeah. Dan just forgot to give them to me out of his backpack. Look at my holiday llamas. They're so cute. Yamas. <laughs> Yamas. Yama, yama, mad at mama. Did everybody read that book to their kids? I know we did. Uh, and then, uh, okay, so you're, you're cozy. We're going to get started. Decent amount of setup on this first one. Okay. 10 miles east of the small 25,000-ish person town of La Grande, Oregon, an area once an important stop along the Oregon Trail, first settled permanently by Americans in 1861, sits the little unincorporated community of Hot Lake. Thanks to gold mines and fertile soil for farming, the area around La Grande, including Hot Lake, grew quickly after settlers first, <laughs> sorry, that, that <laughs> slipped out, uh, grew quickly after, excuse me, after settlers first discovered it, incorporated in 1865, then becoming, uh, then booming for the next few decades. By 1865, there were already several businesses along the shores of Hot Lake, the first structure being built in 1864, very atypical structure for the time, uh, essentially everything a town would need under one roof. It's been described as something similar to a modern-day shopping mall. Mall. There was a post office, blacksmith, dance hall, barbershop, bathhouse, several other businesses in this big building. 20 years later, in 1884, the nearby town of Legrand received a railroad stop. 20 years after that, 1906, the original set of assorted stores was replaced by the magnificent Hot Lake Resort, a true vacation destination. It was the first known commercial building in the world to utilize geothermal energy as its primary heat source. And that geothermal energy was a large part of the location's draw. A Hot Lake Hot Springs claims to be one of the largest, if not the largest, natural hot springs in the world. And these springs are very hot. Like how hot? The, <clears throat> excuse me, the mineral thermal water flowing into the eight-acre pond from two geothermal openings does so at a rate of about 3 million gallons per day, and the water is anywhere from 180 to 208 degrees. Oh my degrees. gosh, scolding. Yeah, yeah, like almost boiling. Boiling is 212 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's four degrees less than that when it comes out. Uh, several sources say the average temperature of the lake, roughly 200 degrees. Damn. So that is dangerously hot. Signs can be found along the water's edge, warning visitors to stay out of the water. Uh, the resort along the shore was designed by arguably the best architect in Oregon at the time, John Virginius Benz, who designed many notable structures still standing in Oregon today, mainly in Baker City and Portland, such as the Hollywood Theater, uh, the Broadway, Hamilton, Cornelius Hotels. He designed much of the Oregon State University's now historic district in Corvallis. For the Hot Lake Resort and Hotel, he drew up plans for a large three-story colonial revival that seems to, as you approach it, pop into view out of nowhere. The grandiose gates that encompass the three-story building's stately brick facade and giant white columns can also make it seem as if you're, you've wandered up to some fabulously wealthy person's private residence rather than a business open to the public. Not long after opening as a resort, the property was purchased by a man whose ghost is now said to haunt the place, Dr. W.T. Phi. He renamed it the Hot Lake Sanatorium. The third yeah. floor of the building uh, was converted into a hospital and nicknamed the Mayo Clinic of the West. In fact, the Mayo Brothers, founders of the Mayo Clinic, were frequent visitors to this hotel, as was Wild Bill Hickok and other famous people of the day. Dr. Phi and his staff were praised for their innovation in treating health maladies such as arthritis, tuberculosis, alcoholism, and syphilis. Dr. Fye also criticized for fraternizing with his patients in a decidedly unprofessional manner. 
Uh-oh. He gained a reputation for being quite the womanizer and for taking advantage of desperate, scared, and attractive female patients in his care. Also said to be cruel to many members of his staff, a man who could be extremely unpleasant when he felt moved in that direction. Dr. Fai died of pneumonia in 1931, and his sanatorium would close soon after his death. Next, after reopening briefly as a resort, a devastating fire destroyed most of the wooden features of the resort. Luckily, Benz had the main building built out of brick, so not all was lost. Following the fire, there was a long period of decline for the property. After being utilized both as a flight school and nurses' training center during World War II, the property became a nursing home in the 1950s. It would exist in that manner for decades and was rumored to also have functioned for a time as an asylum for Eastern Oregon residents that no one knew what else to do with but lock away. After its nursing home and asylum period, some new owners reopened it as a restaurant and nightclub, but it closed after only two years. Rumors began to swirl that the property was haunted, and that was the reason it closed, the property being infested with various, very active spirits. The once stately hotel was plagued by ghost stories and sat completely abandoned following the nightclub shutting down exposed to both vandals and the elements for nearly 15 years, until David Manuel and his wife purchased the property in 2003. He and his wife, Lee, invested millions towards restoring the property. All 368 windows had to be replaced, as did much of the roof. After two years of renovation, the hotel was reopened to the public as a hotel in 2005. Then in 2008, the west wing of the building collapsed. After over two years of more renovation, In 2010, the building was now functioning as a bed and breakfast with dozens of restored rooms, a spa, a restaurant, a bronze foundry, and a museum. But then by 2019, the harsh Eastern Oregon elements had begun to undo years of hard work by the Manuel family, and they sold the hotel. They'd grown tired of expensive maintenance and possibly tired of ghosts. Supposedly, they were being overwhelmed with messages from people asking about the hotel's spirits, people who had either stayed there and had strange and unexplainable experiences or others who heard about those experiences wanted to now check out the hotel and had questions. David and Lee publicly stated that they had religious beliefs that were incompatible with the belief in spirits, and it seems that running the hotel was starting to make them question their beliefs more than they were comfortable with, so they left. Another set of new owners bought the place, also dumped a small fortune into ongoing renovations, and now run the hotel as a hotel again, the Lodge at Hot Lake Springs, and they make no mention of the place's haunted history on their website. But you can find numerous posts around the web that speak to the building's employees and visitors still reportedly dealing with spirits. Former guests have claimed to have seen the ghosts and heard the screams of who they believe are numerous different former uh, hospital patients. Some say the hotel is also haunted by the spirit of an old gardener who died by suicide on the property. Others have claimed to hear a piano uh, located on the second floor playing on its own. And of course, there have been numerous sightings of and some very up close and personal encounters with the ghost of the former owner, Dr. Fye. Finally, there are rumors of sightings of the most frightening spirit of the Hot Lake Springs Resort, the ghost of someone who died in the water, but not because they drowned. It was far worse than that. Early in the hotel's history, someone reportedly essentially was nearly boiled alive. Just two seconds of exposure to water at 146 degrees Fahrenheit will give the average person third-degree burns. At 156 degrees, you'll get those burns in one second. And water pours into Hot Lake from at least two different points. Again, that is 208 degrees. At that temperature, your skin would instantaneously burn, blister, and bubble, and start to peel off. If that water made it down into your throat, it would immediately start to peel the lining of your esophagus away and essentially cook your internal organs. 
You'd die from your burns if you were trapped in that water long before you would drown. And before your body went into shock, it would be unimaginably painful. Back when the Manuels were running the hotel, they left journals in the rooms and encouraged guests to write about their experiences in the hotel. And they soon regretted that when the focus of the entries became almost exclusively a focus on the paranormal. Most of these journals have been lost unless the Manuels still have them somewhere. But at least one was stolen by a guest who has since posted some of the contents. The anonymous poster of the following story claims that this journal contained entries regarding several spirits in the hotel, including someone who saw what they believe to be the ghost of the person burned alive in the water of Hot Lake and more. Time now for the tale of the burned woman in the window. May 26, 2019. Hello, my name's Marianne, last name redacted. I'm from Redding, California. It took me 12 hours to drive here today, including about three hours of stops, but what a beautiful drive it was totally worth it. I've had Hot Lake Springs Hotel on my must-stay bucket list ever since it reopened. I'm a bit of a history buff, and I love staying in unique places with lots of colorful stories from their past. To get here, I ditched the interstate and took Highway 299 through little mostly forgotten California mountain towns like Fall River Mills and Alturas. No one loves a hidden gem more than me, especially one not too far from home. Most of my friends, when they vacation, they go to Hawaii, Mexico, Europe, or somewhere else overseas— And yet they've probably never been to even half of the towns, parks, and historical sites within a day's drive of where they sleep every night. I find that so silly. Wherever you live, I promise you, you really don't have to travel far to see beautiful, interesting sites and to meet amazing people. And it's so much cheaper to stay close to home. But each their own, I guess. After taking Highway 299, I drove up Highway 395 into Oregon, past the scenic Goose Lake and Lake Albert, and through more cute out-of-the-way towns like Burns and John Day. I drove through the Strawberry Mountains into the Blue Mountains that surround La Grande. I highly recommend the cheeseburger at RJ's and Burns, one of the best I've had all year. This person's colorful. I made it to La Grande just in time to grab dinner at Mamacita's Grill. The chicken manicotti was to die for. And then I showed up at Hot Lake Springs Hotel in time to watch the sunset. How lucky. I brought my things into my room, unpacked a bit, grabbed a nightcap at the pub on the first floor, and chatted a bit with John the bartender about the history of the hotel, And after writing in this cool little journal, this little lady is beat and going to bed. May 27th, 2019. Well, what an unusual night I just had. I'm jotting down this first entry before I even head downstairs to grab breakfast because I don't want to forget what happened. I woke up shortly after midnight to the distinct sound of the door to my room being shut. It about gave me a heart attack. I like to be up by sunrise and generally don't draw my shades down at night. And there was enough light in my room from the moon and the stars. You really get to see the sky at night here since there's zero light pollution. And I could tell right away that I was, thank the Lord, still alone. But then I had the troubling thought that someone could have just left my room. That really gave me the heebie-jeebies. I popped out of bed and hurried over to my door and looked out my peephole. The hallway is well lit, and I was comforted by not seeing anyone. I quietly opened the door and peeked my head out for a better look. I'm able to see at least 50 or so feet in both directions, and there was no one there. Figuring it must be a dream, my heart rate already starting to lower, I climbed back into bed and was back asleep within minutes. But then a couple hours later, I again woke up to the distinct sound of the door to my room shutting. Since it had already happened, I wasn't quite as worried when I woke up this time. It was still uncomfortable, though. And then, when I looked around like I had before, I screamed out loud when I saw what I thought for a moment was someone standing across the room. Just for a second, I thought I was sure there was a man standing in the shadows, but then he was gone. I assumed that I must have been having nightmares, even though I'm not usually a dreamer. To make myself feel a little better, I got out of bed again, peeked in the hallway once more, looked all around my room. I was still alone, but my was I spooked now. 
It took me a bit to fall back asleep, but I still managed to get a good night's rest. And now as I finish writing this, I'm laughing. Seeing it all on paper, it's not much of an entry, is it? Clearly, I just had a nightmare. One I must have slipped back into when I fell back asleep the first time. Glad I don't remember all of it. Today, I plan on checking out the little museum on the third floor that houses antiques from the building's sanatorium days after breakfast. Then I'm heading back into Legrand for lunch and maybe do some shopping. I'll return to sit in one of the soaking pools fed by the hot springs, read a book for a while before I grab dinner at the pub, and watch a movie in the little theater in the hotel. They're playing Willow. I love that old movie. And then the next entry. I'm back and ready for bed. This journal is such a cool idea. It's fun to write in. What another splendid day. Legrand is adorable. For a small town, it has a surprising amount to offer. I highly recommend stopping by About Time Boutique if you're in the market for any women's clothes with a modern Western feel. I bought myself a very cute hat and a fun Pendleton-style sweater. And Craig's Antiques has been wonderfully curated, bringing myself home an old tea kettle from the 1930s that looks almost new. All my meals were great. I went to the Liberty Theater Cafe for lunch, had a big bowl of Texas-style chili with some sourdough bread on the side, all made from scratch. Oh, and I ate another burger at the hotel for dinner grass-fed beef. Maybe even a better burger than the one I had in Burns. My cholesterol be damned. LOL. The soaking tub out by the lake? It's a must. Wonderful. So relaxing and rejuvenating. Can't recommend doing that enough. John the bartender was working again, and we had what started off as another nice chat about the area after dinner. He is a cutie. If I was 30 years younger, I'd take him home with me. But then (laughs) he started talking about scary things, which is unfortunate because I hate scary. I am not into stories about ghosts and things of that nature at all. No, thank you. But when I told John about my strange night, thinking I was waking up to hearing my door shut, I almost fell out of my seat when he told me that it was not a dream. Seriously. He asked me if I was staying in room 324, and his eyes lit up when I told him I was. He slammed his fist down on the bar and blurted out, I knew it. And then he told me that he must have heard about the door shutting on its own from at least a dozen other guests in the little over a year he'd been working there. Why would he tell me that? And then he really gave me the chills when he asked if I'd seen the doctor. He told me that the ghost of the doctor loves ladies staying at the hotel alone. And a few women had checked out early after seeing his shadow in the corner of their room and feeling like he was watching them. He said that at least one woman claimed that he climbed into bed with her, that she could feel him touching her. Again, why would he tell me that? Now I was starting to get irritated with that cutie. I'm just about the furthest thing from a ghost hunter anyone could be, but darn it, now I was curious. I asked if only my room was haunted and was prepared to head to the front desk and ask if I could be moved to a different room. But then he told me that the whole darn place is haunted. He said the owners were actually thinking about seeing the pl- or selling the place because they were tired of all the hassle. How did I not know about any of this when I looked into staying here? Wish me luck. I'm feeling mighty on edge now. I'm hoping for a very uneventful evening tonight and tomorrow, and then a nice peaceful drive back to Reading, where the only ghost encounter rolling around in my head will be my door opening and shutting a few times in the middle of the night, maybe seeing a shadowy figure, but maybe not, in my room for about half a second. And I'll be able to tell myself that John just likes to scare ladies like me. What a rascal. May 27th, 2019. John was not lying. Last night was one of the worst nights of my entire life. I've already looked into staying someplace else, but every hotel in the area is booked. There's some kind of convention for a a rancher's association. All the other rooms here are also booked. I barely slept. I laid in bed for about an hour trying to get everything John told me out of my head, and then after I finally did fall asleep, I soon woke up to the sound again of my door shutting. 
It was just after four in the morning this time, and my heart was racing. And then I felt sick to my stomach. The blankets on the other side of my bed were all messy and thrown down towards the foot of the bed, as if someone else had been laying in bed with me. There was even an indentation in the pillow where it looked like someone was resting their head only moments earlier, and I could smell the faint scent of some kind of cologne in the air. I jumped out of bed and hurried over to the door where I looked out the peephole again. No one was there, but when I peeked my head out and looked down the hall this time, I just caught a glimpse of some man, a man who sure seemed to be dressed like an old doctor turning the corner. Are you kidding me? Did I just see a ghost again? And all that was just the beginning. Something suddenly compelled me to walk over to the window and look out towards the lake. After a few moments of not seeing anything but feeling a lot of dread, I heard a scream so loud I was sure it must have woke everyone in the hotel. And then, by the light of the moon, as they say, I saw a woman come up out of the water. Right near the bank, she was thrashing about, armpit deep in the lake, like she'd just fallen in and was desperately trying to get to the shore before the fiery water killed her. She was screaming out in pain. She managed to crawl herself out after slipping and submerging herself completely for a few seconds. You could tell she was badly hurt. She wasn't moving right. She struggled up to her feet and was walking in a stiff, discombobulated way towards the hotel. Quickly, her scream faded to a low, agonized moan. She suddenly stopped for a moment as I watched her, looked up, and stared right into my eyes. My blood went cold and I backed away from the window. I started trying to convince myself that I was having some kind of waking nightmare. A, a lucid dream, I think is what they call it. I went back and sat on my bed, turned on the light on the bedside table, and just sat and thought about what I should do next. When I contemplated what course of action to take, I heard someone knocking on my door. I ran over, looked through the people, and screamed. It was the doctor, looking every bit as alive as I was. I screamed and jumped back. Then, feeling like I was being watched by something else from the window, I turned around and screamed again. The woman from the lake. She was floating about a foot outside my third floor window. She looked so real and alive. Well, barely alive. She was badly disfigured, her skin blistered and bleeding. Her lips had been basically burnt off and you could see all of her teeth and blistered tongue. Her eyelids were completely gone and her eyes looked melted, one more than the other. And you could see past what was left of it and into her skull. Only a few patches of hair remained on her head, much of her nose and ears melted and misshaped. She was wearing a dress and the exposed skin and flesh on her upper chest, shoulders and arms was melted almost completely away, even down to her bones in places. She looked like pure pain. I couldn't stop staring like I was in a trance. I was both afraid and sad for her. Then I heard more knocking at the door. I spun around and screamed, go away! And now I heard a man speak, ma'am, are, are you okay in there? I'm just checking on you because we heard some reports of you screaming. The voice I heard had sounded friendly and like the voice of a real living person. I snapped my head back towards the window. The woman was gone. I didn't feel as afraid as I did a moment ago. I didn't feel watched. I walked back to the door, looked through the people, and there was some other man out there who did look like he worked at the hotel. Sorry, give me a moment to get dressed, I told him, and then I threw on some clothes and answered the door. He introduced himself as Thomas, and he looked to be around 30 or so years old, slight build, wearing a basic long-sleeve white-collar button-up shirt, slacks, and leather shoes. I tried to explain to Thomas that I might have been having nightmares, losing my mind, or as crazy as it sounded, like I'd just seen a ghost. He assured me, like John the bartender, that I was not losing my mind or dreaming, that I was far from the first person to experience something like what I was describing in the hotel, and he asked if, he, if I would like to come down to the lobby so I wouldn't have to spend more of the night alone. He said he was about to make some coffee anyway. I quickly took him up on his offer. We drank coffee and chatted downstairs until it became light out. He was very friendly and comforting. 
Now I was very curious about the hotel's paranormal history, and we mostly talked about what various people had claimed to see or hear. Then, shortly before sunrise, Thomas and I were joined by who he said was the hotel's gardener, Pete. Pete was an old man who looked past the age of retirement. Quiet guy who never said much. Just mostly chimed in to assert that what Thomas was saying was true, or that he'd heard the same story. Pete was kind of an odd guy. Again, nice, but something about the way he stared at me, it bothered me a bit. Before I went back upstairs, a woman about my age, somewhere between 50 and 60, also joined us. She was very odd. I never got her name. She asked if I was another patient of the sanatorium before Thomas interrupted her and told me that she was just a frequent guest with an odd sense of humor who liked to joke around. The two of them exchanged a curious glance before she told me she meant, of course, to say guest. And then she went out of her way to assure me that this place was a hotel and not a hospital, as if I was the one confused. And then she left. Meeting this strange, strange woman felt like par for the course. I was so relieved when she walked away and then the breakfast service had begun and I went and grabbed a meal. When I walked back past the front desk, I was going to ask Thomas another question, but both he and Pete were gone and now someone else was working. I was exhausted and in the comfort of the light of day felt okay about going back to my room where all luckily felt as it should and to try and take a nice nap. But first I wrote all this out. Please let this be the end of any terrible encounters. I was going to leave early and drive home today, but Thomas said after a sighting or two, the hotel usually leaves you alone. I'm going to try and be positive and assume he's right and hope my last of the impressions of this place are good ones. After hitting a few more antique stores and actually catching a show at the Elgin Opera House, Much Ado About Nothing, performed at the tiniest little opera house in the little town of Elgin about 20 minutes from the Grand, I came back to the resort in a much better mood. I was still scared, but I kept reminding myself I just had to make it nine more hours in the building. Then at 6 a.m. I could grab one more breakfast and hightail it out of here. May 28th, 2019. It is four in the morning and I am terrified. I should have left. I really should have left. I hate this place. I want to leave right now, but she's outside. I know she is and she's waiting for me. I have to wait until the sun's out to head to my car and she's not all I have to worry about. I woke up tonight not to someone knocking at the door, but to the doctor touching me in my bed. I fell on the floor trying to get away from him and landed on my hip. I think I almost broke it. I'm going to have a nasty bruise in a few hours. When I pulled up myself up from the floor, he was gone, but she was in the window again, looking every bit as awful as she had the night before. I was too scared to scream. I just stared in shock and trembled. Then the door opened and I felt like I was about to faint. I was sure it was going to be the doctor, but it was the woman I'd met early the previous morning, the woman Thomas knew who referred to herself as a patient of the sanatorium. I managed to get out... How did you get a key to my room? When she walked in and asked, Did he hurt you? Sometimes he hurts you if he doesn't get what he wants. It's best to just give him what he wants. I did not like what she was saying. I felt like crying. When I asked who she was talking about, she said, The doctor, of course, my dear. Before adding, I have to leave. He's coming. Just give him what he wants. And then she vanished into thin air. I can't remember if I screamed or not, but I do remember seeing the door appear to shut itself. The woman in the window was now gone as well, but that was not comforting. I felt such a heavy feeling of dread, the worst I've ever felt. And then I could see the shadowy shape of a man. The doctor moved through the wall across from me and lay back down in my bed. I flipped on the bathroom light on instinct, and it did seem to work. Thank heavens he was gone. I grabbed the phone to call the front desk and to speak to Thomas again. I was going to ask him if he could come up to my room and be near while I packed when some woman answered the phone. I asked her to please put Thomas on the line, and she told me that no one by that name worked at the hotel. I asked when Pete would be in, and she said no one by his name worked at the hotel either. 
When she started to ask me something else, I I just hung up the phone. Had they also been ghosts? I turned on every light in my room and started to write in this journal or at least put my experience down on paper and kill some time. I just need to make it to sunrise and then I am out of here. Not even going to have breakfast. Just going to leave this place forever and try my best to forget about all of this. If you're here and you're reading this, leave right now. Even if you can't get your money back, just go. Drive all the way to the Dalles or Portland or Boise if you have to. Go sleep in your car at a rest area. Just leave. And you don't have to take just my word for it. Read some of the other entries of the guests. I wish I'd done so. I would have left after the first night. I am far from the first person to be terrorized here. My gosh. She's funny. Yeah, she seems like a little bit of a nut. But a good nut. Yeah. I like her. (laughs) Me too. I'm not even going to have breakfast. I'm just leaving. (laughs) I knew that I knew Thomas was a ghost. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she's yeah. about to have her mind yeah. blown. I, I was picturing like I got a real vision of like what this in my mind, what she like looked like. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this, uh, this, I can't even remember her name right now. I said at the beginning, her last name was taken out, but her first name was. I, mean, I didn't write it down. Oh my gosh. Good drive. Is it me Mary? Crazy. Marianne, I think. Yeah, I think it was. Um, my genius. You are. Marianne. Yeah, Marianne. I, I definitely I picture her with um some funky glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're not standard frames. No. They got, they got a little horn rim on the oh. corner or something. They're like a bright color. Uh yeah, she's fun. She's, she's good, fun. she's a good time. But also poor thing. Oh yeah. I I just love how it started off so blissful. Yeah. I mean, I love I say I love, but I'm just, you know, if it was me, <laughs> I would hate it. Exactly. But when it's somebody else and they made through it, you know, made it through it. I mean, it's, it's kind of entertaining where it's like just so happy about the food and the shopping and then just like best burgers of my life. Fuck this place forever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, here's, a, here's some photos. Uh, here's a photo of Hot Lake with one of the current hotel soaking tubs. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty. So yeah. So they're able to obviously reduce the heat and then you get that mineral water and you can, I think it's around 100, was it 140 degrees maybe in those soaking tubs. Something real hot. Okay. Uh, this next one, an old, roughly 100-year-old photo of the Hot Lake Sanatorium. Wow. And there's not really much else around it. So it really is like an interesting little spot where it's like, I can't remember what I said, but like seven, eight miles outside of Grande, And yeah, it's just like there's houses off in the distance a ways from it. But by the lake, there's just that. Crazy. Uh, here's a recent photo of the hotel in its current incarnation. Oh my God, it's so cute. Uh-huh. Just like this random little place that was a, 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 I mean, it's like kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Eastern Oregon's not very populated. Uh, here's a shot of one of the hotel's hallways. I mean, this does look like the kind of hallway where I'd almost expect to see a ghost. And I'm like, what's at the end of the hallway? But I know. It's like, is that, I think it's a painting. Oh, I was thinking that it was like uh, where the elevator bank is and that mm-hmm. it's like some sort of table with something on it in sort of like the lobby-ish, not lobby, but yeah. foyer to the elevator it reminds me a little bit there in that just in that shot of the hotel from the shining oh 100 <laughs> percent uh and then uh one more pick of the hotel now this is just like one of the inside rooms or interior of the rooms oh no it's not you almost got me <laughs> that's what pops up when you look for pictures of ghosts with burned faces yeah i mean when you were describing oh seeing that, that outside your window oof. and when you were describing what happened to that woman i felt oh just nauseous just That'd like, be such a terrible way to die. Oh, and there is nothing anybody can do. It's, nope. it's over. Nope. Just too much damage. Yeah. Woo. You just yeah. have to hope you die fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely like lots of um, signs around the uh, the lake of like, you know, don't get in the water. Because who's the idiot that's getting in? Well, think about people in Yellowstone. People fall like, I feel like 
every year, a couple people fall into one of the hot springs. I'm like, how does that happen? Gotta get that selfie. Gotta get that perfect selfie. Or just just being a jackass. Yeah, just screwing around. Mm -hmm. Scoofing around and you forget about like the consequences if you do slip are pretty severe. Uh, Death is (laughs) pretty severe, yeah. Or or being so... Badly, badly disfigured and in pain from the disfigurement that, that yeah. like you probably wish you were dead. Yeah. Like yeah. the grandmother off of Dante's Peak. I've never seen that movie, even oh. though it's filmed near here. <laughs> Me either. Yeah. Okay. I, I have to see it now. It's like, the, I know it's a Pierce Brosnan movie. Pierce Brosnan is BA in that movie. But the grandma, <laughs> it's a volcano. Grandma saves the family. Okay. And, and burns her legs off. Uh, to say, but it, it uh, we do need to see that because it's I've like, never seen it either. Yeah, it's like uh, made. I mean, I, you can tell the people of Wallace are very proud of that movie being filmed in Wallace. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. There's like references around. I think there's some markers around town. Definitely, oh, definitely. Yeah, I never, I never noticed. Yeah, I keep, I keep, I always forget about it. But then when I go there, I'm like, gotta watch that. Got it. We gotta see it. <laughs> it is. I love Wallace. Wallace is it's so, so cute. cute. So cute. Yeah, so cute. Very interesting little town. Don't want to live there, but so cute. Um, okay. Well, all of my questions were answered. Yeah. Yeah. About the, who but, she was talking to that one who's night. Who's a ghost? Who's not? Who's real? What's happening there? Why it's happening? That doctor sounds naughty. Mm-hmm. He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. But when you were talking something, there was somebody on like a scooter. She said something about, like, <laughs> a scooter? Or, oh, oh no, she said rascal. Oh, a rascal. Maybe. That little rascal. And then I started <laughs> thinking about rascal scooters and I was oh, thinking okay. about, uh, we were recently in New Orleans and we were at one of the jazz clubs and my brother was with us and this guy comes out of nowhere on his rascal scooter and just like, excuse me, excuse me, and just drives oh, right, right up, to the front. right to the front of the stage. I was like, that is a fucking baller move. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. so funny. Yep, went to the front of a crowded room quickly. Just Qu- like, quickly. You, you can move or I can run you over. Yeah, he had a little light that was like, <laughs> flash. It was so funny. <laughs> so you said rascal and I immediately was just like dying of laughter. And then I took my brother down Bourbon Street. Oh, you did? Just, yeah, I mean, you have to see it, right? And uh, there was some guy, man, 90, just on his rascal scooter, just having the time of his life. I love it. Oh, I hope he was covered in beads. He, he was in some sort of costume. <laughs> he was something. Uh, That's all uh, I've got. Okay. Are you are you ready to leave a, a very haunted hotel and see what Carrie Fisher had to say about the yeah, paranormal? Yeah, actually, I'm super curious about this story. Before we visit the iconic Princess Leia's encounter with the supernatural, we need to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Clover gives you the power to run a smarter, faster restaurant. See everything in real time with the kitchen display system. Streamline takeout and delivery with online ordering. With the right tech, quick service is getting even quicker. 
Clover. Accept payments, run your business, and sell more. For a limited time only, visit Clover.com to get a $450 statement credit on qualified hardware purchases. That's www.clover.com. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. Decent amount of setup on this one before I share the supernatural portion of the story. Uh, Carrie Fisher, the actress best known for playing Princess Leia in Star Wars, was open about her experience with the paranormal after a traumatic loss she experienced later in her life. And what a life she had. Carrie was born on October 21st, 1956 in Burbank, California, the daughter of two incredibly well-known entertainers, singer Eddie Fisher and actress Debbie Reynolds. Eddie sold millions of records in the 50s alone. He would also go on to marry Elizabeth Taylor. Debbie was a Golden Globe and Academy Award-nominated movie star, major box office draw for years. And their daughter Carrie would, of course, become a famous entertainment figure as well. At the age of 15, Carrie appeared in a Broadway show starring her mother. Then in 1977, the now 20-year-old was cast in her iconic role as Princess Leia in the original Star Wars film. She'd star as Leia in The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi as well. Following these roles, in the midst of her successful career, Carrie did struggle publicly with alcohol, drugs, and depression. In the 80s, she published a novel, continued appearing in movies and on TV shows, and helped revise famous movie scripts. She was also married to singer-songwriter Paul Simon for about a decade. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Mm-hmm, me either. She continued to act in the, in the 90s and the aughts, and in 2015, Fisher starred in the long-awaited Star Wars Episode Seven and also Star Wars Episode Eight, a.k.a. The Last Jedi which premiered after her death. Carrie suffered a heart attack on a flight from London to California on December 23, 2016, died the next day at the age of 60. A coroner's report released in June of 2017 showed that she had quite a variety of drugs in her system, including cocaine, methadone, MDMA, alcohol, and some opiates, determined that sleep apnea and other undetermined factors also contributed to her death. Carrie's daughter, Billy Lord, said in a statement, my mom battled drug addiction and mental illness her entire life. She ultimately died of it. She was purposefully open in all of her work about the social stigmas surrounding these diseases. During her lifetime, Carrie was also open about an intense supernatural encounter that occurred after she lost a close friend. You may not have heard about it since it didn't get nearly the same amount of press coverage as her struggles. Time now for the tale of the haunting of Carrie Fisher. On February 26, 2005, Carrie's friend, 42-year-old R. Gregory Stevens, died by her side. Greg was a consultant for the lobbying firm Barber, Griffith, and Rogers, who had, who had had an interesting career in government as well. He'd arrived in Los Angeles two days before the Oscars. He wasn't feeling well, but he didn't want to miss an annual party hosted by Carrie's ex-husband, the CEO of CAA, Brian Lord. Greg and Carrie attended a party together, and then she left before he did. Greg later returned to her home with his assistant, Judy. Carrie offered her guest room to Judy, and since she had other house guests, she let Greg sleep in her room that night. She said this was the first time they'd ever done something like that and that it was not romantic. They stayed up for a while to watch a movie and talk, and then Greg fell asleep. At some point in the night, Carrie woke up to try to get Greg to stop snoring, and then eventually went back to sleep. And then when she woke up in the morning, Greg was not moving. He had died in his sleep, laying right next to her. Carrie blamed herself at first, thinking she should have somehow been able to help save Greg. In a 2006 interview with George Wayne from Vanity Fair, she said, This friend of mine had a very dangerous job. He ran presidential elections in very unstable countries, so for him to have died anywhere else was like Patton dying in a car accident. He did drugs. A lot of people were staying in my house, which is why he was sleeping with me. He came home around midnight, and he and I sat up and talked. 
He was very tired, and he then went to bed. When I got into bed, I put a pillow between us, and I woke him up. We watched TV for a little bit. I was woken up in the morning by my friend Bruce Cohen because we were going to have tango lessons. I planned to make a souffle that morning, and I went around to bed to wake up Greg, and he was dead. She added, and from the first moment I blame and, and from the first moment I blame myself. I thought I'd put the pillow on his face. I was in shock for months. I thought I had killed him because it had happened on my watch and I'd failed to save him. They say his body was so worn out from drug use that if it hadn't have happened that night, it would have happened on another one. The final autopsy report was released in April of 2005, and Greg's cause of death was cocaine and oxycodone use, with chronic undiagnosed heart disease as a contributing factor. Oh my God. Greg's brother, W. Grant Stevens, a physician who examined his body, told the LA Times, it was not a classic overdose. His heart was damaged by a life of chronic drug use. Gregory had a lethal amount of oxycodone in his system, but it was a combination of drugs and heart disease that killed him. A coroner spokesman said the drugs might not have had such an effect if he did not have heart disease. Greg was also suffering from bronchitis at the time of his death and had not sought treatment. Soon after Greg's death, Carrie started to feel a strong, invisible presence in her home. She said in an interview for the show Celebrity Ghost Stories, it was like it just was heavier, just kind of, you know, that there was something in the house so that I would come home and say, hi, Greg, I'm back. I mean, it was just really odd. It was just this, like you'd walk in the air uh, and there was something liquid about it almost, like you were just moving through this aura or something. In her Vanity Fair interview, she talked about how her home was built in the 1930s when asked if she thought her house was haunted by former residents, she said, no. No, but we had Greg for a while. I was totally convinced, which kind of made me happy because I kept thinking, please don't go. Carrie eventually, eventually began hearing what she described as vivid noises throughout the house. She was dating someone around the time of Greg's death and told him about the noises, but he didn't believe her. Not until the night he heard the noises. When she explained that he had just heard her friend Greg's spirit, who she said was following her, he, quote, freaked out. Another night, Carrie said she was up late writing in bed in the same room where Greg died. Carrie had an old gag gift stored in her closet, which she used years earlier when she was working with George Lucas, creator of Star Wars. And you could push a button and the toy would say profanities like, eat shit. <laughs> and are you fucking talking to me? That night, she heard the toy say, are you talking to me? Through the bedroom wall. And Carrie was terrified. The last thing she wanted was to open her closet door to see what was going on. She decided to stay in the room to calm herself down, but then it happened again. The toy repeated the same phrase, phrase. Are you talking to me? Right away, she had a feeling that Greg was behind this because the toy repeated that same phrase twice rather than switching to the next one in its settings like it had always done before. Additionally, some of Greg's clothing was still hanging in that closet, which she felt, be, which she felt might be what attracted the spirit to that part of the house. Carrie shouted, Greg, stop it. That's not funny. But then the toy repeated the phrase again and again and again. And now it was doing this with lights flickering around the house. And it was really starting to freak her out. Carrie told Vanity Fair, I was a nut for a year. And in that year, I took drugs again. Carrie told her editor what had been happening. And she suggested talking to a psychic. The psychic visited the house and explained that Greg's spirit was in distress because his life had ended so suddenly. He couldn't accept his spirit moving on. And a part of him remained in the house. The psychic even said that Greg's spirit was trying to enter her body and that Carrie's current distress was a manifestation of what Greg was feeling. In her interview for Celebrity Ghost Stories, Carrie said, It seemed like sort of a natural thing that he wouldn't want to leave because he was planning on being settled there. And so in a way, he did settle there for a while after he died. I didn't think it was a bad thing. I think it makes sense to stay around when you're comfortable or where you're comfortable. 
Stay around those you love until you can accept things and then move on. Eventually, Carrie's friends brought in an exorcist to the house, and after an exorcism, the paranormal activity did settle down, but she felt like Greg's spirit still lingered. It's not known exactly how long Carrie was visited by her friend's spirit. It's possible that she never stopped having encounters with Greg. Carrie's last public thoughts on the matter were, he didn't just die in his sleep, he died in mine. So it's still not gone, and I don't think it ever will be. Hmm. Interesting. Well, mm-hmm. if you could not die in bed with me, that'd be great. <laughs> I know that is, gosh, what a crazy uh, thing. I know. Do you know the story about Matthew McConaughey's mom? Mm-mm. Uh, I believe the story goes that her and Matthew's dad were having sex when his dad died of a heart attack, mid-sex. Oh, my gosh. Like, guess who's never having sex again? <laughs> Not me. Yeah, I'd just be too traumatized. Or or would you want to again later to, like, cleanse out that experience? I, I mean, if— like if it's you, yeah, you know, like if I was like young and single and like, then yeah, I'd want to cleanse myself of that experience. Yeah. But uh, no, if it's you, it's, I'm just done. Oh man. Okay. I, oh, I, that's not the answer you are going to give. I see. Oh, no, no, no. I, was, I wasn't even thinking that way. <laughs> uh, I was thinking actually about Rick, the guy who used to work down the hall, um, who actually yeah. saw at the gym recently. Oh, funny. Uh-huh. But he, uh, his mom died in her bed and he was the first to come in the house and he's such a goofball. He said like, he didn't, he didn't want to like touch her neck, I guess, whatever, you know, but he also wanted to make sure that she was dead. Yeah. So he just started bouncing the mattress <laughs> and he, and he was like bouncing yeah. her body, her body on the mattress. That's so inappropriate. Uh, and then he was kind of laughing when he told, and then like when she didn't like stir after a while, he's like, okay. Okay, she's dead. And then called the authorities. That's pretty funny. There's a, I don't know if it's a TikTok going around, but I saw the Instagram post of two sisters. Their mom died about a year ago. Uh-huh. And I was, I was reading the captions and I wasn't listening to it. I was on a plane, uh, but they're laughing hysterically. And this, I, I love this. Like I love bringing humor to grief because yeah. death is coming for all of us. There's no avoiding it. It yeah. is, we're all marching towards it a little bit every day. Mm-hmm. And it can be very overwhelming to think about, but also yeah. I, I don't, it doesn't freak me out. I, mm-hmm. of course, as I'm getting a little bit older, it's a little bit more like, haha, it's a little bit closer, Yeah, but it, it just doesn't panic me at okay. all. Like yeah. it's going to be going to be fine because you're going to be dead. What are you going to know? But um, they were telling really funny stories of like, sorry, mom, you're probably super disappointed in this thing that we did. And they're laughing hysterically. And the girl's like, I I drove your car for seven months and apparently you never registered it. Like, I didn't know that I had to register it. And just these like funny, like things that they were learning in death, like about how life works or like, oh, you... The one girl says, like, I just wanted to make sure that you knew that, like, the reason I didn't cry at your funeral wasn't because I wasn't sad. It's because I was so pregnant and my hormones were so out of whack that every time I cried, I threw up and I didn't really feel like crying and throwing up at your funeral. Like, (laughs) yeah, but just this like it was so so when you're talking about like Rick bouncing the spot, it's like bringing humor to death is, I think, very healthy. Oh, but uh, yeah, please don't die in our house. Oh, yeah. I have a few. Uh, well, I mean, going in your sleep, good way to go. I know. I, I, have, a, I have a few. Pick, what do you say? I was going to say, rest in peace, Carter. Like, it's so sad. Oh, yeah, Rosalind Carter. Yeah, yeah, I know. Jimmy's going to go soon. Uh, I have a few pictures. This first one is an old picture. It's so sweet of Eddie Fisher, Debbie Reynolds, and baby daughter Carrie Fisher. Oh, my God. That is so sweet. And then. Uh. I just yeah. wish that we like dressed like that still. Oh, I know. They dress sharp. Yeah. And just like so put together. Mm-hmm. Every detail thought about. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, this next one is a picture of, uh, of adult Carrie Fisher. Oh, yeah. That's like 
Mm-hmm. Young adult Carrie Fisher. Yeah, like maybe like like she started acting so maybe that's I don't know I guess around thirty or something. I bet she's younger than that. And then this next one, her in her iconic role uh, as Princess Leia. Leia. Yep. And then finally another horror connection for Carrie. Uh, this is a picture of Carrie's only child daughter. I mentioned her before, Billy Lord. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't realize that she was Carrie Fisher's daughter, and that that's her in the uh, American Horror Story. She's been a part of the. The cast there since 2017 and I done a bunch of other things. I don't recognize her in that photo. Like what character or what season? I do. Yeah, I, I can't. Do? Yeah. Well, I can't think of the name. I just remember watching this season. Oh. And then she was also. Is that the, maybe the Madame LaLaurie season? Uh, no, I think it maybe Roanoke. I can't. Oh, I, I can't the remember Roanoke for sure. season screwed me up. Yeah, Coven or Roanoke. One of those ones. Like the Witches, which I think is the Madame uh, LaLaurie or... Uh, or the Roanoke one, I think, is this one. Have we done Madame Wallery here? Madame Delphine. I don't remember. I think so. Think so? Okay. I think so. Seems like we would have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's really sad how Greg died. But interesting that he like hung around. And I wonder if his spirit is stuck, not only because he died young and unexpectedly, but yeah. like not, not in his own home or not in a yeah. super familiar space to him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Before you get started, I do want to thank uh, Logan for setting up the Christmas decor again. Yes. Reminds me you. of Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, I like it. Yeah. And and also thanks to Tyler for, man, snazzing up the office. I know you guys don't see it, but Tyler did some good behind the scenes work. I'm, I'm always amazed how much that affects my mood because it's like I get in the habit of just like, okay, just work and I'll deal with stuff later and my things like, I know, get more and more dirty and more and more cluttered and then I'll do like a deep clean and then it'll start the cycle again. I'm, I'm going to try and get better this next year about not letting it get to that point. Oh, is that going to be a goal for you? Yeah, just I have a variety of goals now that I'm going to have a little bit more time, you know, yeah. to not be always just kind of buried in some type of content creation. Yeah. But um, but it, when I see it, when things are more put together, I'm like, ooh, I just, I just feel more like relaxed or just like want to be in the space more. It's nice. Yeah. That's why I'm so big on like keeping the house neat and tidy. And Yeah. It is. It does affect your mood. It, yeah. They say like uh, how you keep your house or how you keep your heart, your car is how you keep your life. Oh, man. I know. I'm a shit show. I mean, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like you could just think about your truck. I know a lot, a lot of warning lights still going on uh, over I know. there. So now it's, it's. You, I, I think the computer is malfunctioning because it's just it's constant like new things. The new, oh, oh, there's uh, new oh, ones. There's been so many new ones. Cool. The new one, um, yesterday and today is I've never seen this warning, but it's like my tires are too low, and there's like these, like it highlights them, like how, like they're the pressure, mm-hmm. but it's not crazy low, but they're still highlighted. Yeah, and they look fine. I think it just needs a big hard reset. Who knows what it needs? I'll find out when I finally take it in here soon. Before it explodes. Before, I mean, there is a part of me that wants it to explode. Not with you in it, but just. <laughs> right, right. Like, insurance money sounds good right now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you guys. I mean, but it just like, like just the idea that like you remote start it and then your truck just goes boom. Yeah. Like, well, that's yeah, what you get for it. not heeding the warnings. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, are you ready for me to do my side of the show? Yes. You feel? I am. I am. I got a. The most Christmassy colored Layla. We, I know. We there's no green Laylas out there, Mm-mm. which which was sad. I was telling the guys before we started this episode, I was flying through Salt Lake City yesterday, and I saw this girl with a, a Layla crossbody purse. It was like, if think about what? like, oh, I mean, like she was not a fan of the show. It yeah. just like this. So think about like this guy. I love this guy. And think about him being like flattened. Mm-hmm. And then like a zipper over his Whoa, head. Okay. And so then like you would like access the purse that way. But it was just like maybe made out of felt. But I, I guess it's actually, 
when you think about it, I'm pretty crafty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I'm like, oh, that it's not a terribly difficult pattern shape. I feel mm-hmm. like I could make Layla purses. Okay. I'm not going to, but I feel like I could. We have some more stuff to put on the um, desk, by the way, after Christmas. Some more little dolls and things. We've gotten some cool ones. We've got, we've got some of those in Lexington as well. Some cool, like, uh, crafted dolls. I like it when this guy looks like he's being licked. Okay. Because he stays here. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it in the... <laughs> he's peeking over. He's always getting a little lick on his head. It always reminds me of a treasure troll. Like oh, a yeah. Hair in the back. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Head. Yeah. Did you guys know the Beanie Babies are back? Nope. Yeah, Beanie Babies are back. Maybe that Zach Galifianakis movie. Uh, <gasps> oh yeah, I watched that. I I didn't watch it, but I was. Uh, there's a local uh, domestic violence shelter here called Safe Passage, and mm-hmm. we always adopt a family from there. So I was doing the adopt a family for them, and Beanie Babies were on the list. I was like, oh huh? my Funny. god, like actual Beanie Babies. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty fun. <laughs> All right, are you ready? I am. All right, let's do it. We just go right into the story. In early 2014, my family was helping my grandparents sort through their old shed where we made an amazing discovery, a collection of very old photographs and daguerreotypes. Do you know what a daguerreotype is? Uh, it's like a tin uh, thing, like, like um, ah, it's... Yeah, almost like an... Im- like copper? Yeah, like, it, it's like a, a very original form of photography, but yes, onto like metal. Yeah. Very interesting. I had to look it up. Yeah. Uh, and these daguerreotypes dated back as far as the Civil War, along with a book of poems and personal musings written by my great-grandmother and my namesake, Sarah Glenn, who went by Sally. For any of you who don't know the word daguerreotype, it is, in, in its most basic form, an old photograph. One photo was a portrait of my great-great-grandfather David, and on the back was an address, 325 Spanish Street, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. We hadn't heard of the town, but we Googled it and found that not only was my great-great-grandparents' home still standing, it was now a beautifully restored museum. Arrangements were made for a family trip in 2015 to reunite with the house and the volunteers who run it. After a wonderful reception and dinner on the property in the carriage house, as I was finishing up my meal, an older volunteer leaned in and confided, I won't go in there alone, you know. I didn't have to ask where she meant. She elaborated all on her own. So many things have happened in there. The presents we decorate with at Christmas unwrap themselves. And and one time I was coming out of the carriage house and I saw a woman in a period dress standing on the upper balcony just watching me. The house doesn't have any period reenactors, at least not outside of special events. Another staff member shared the tale of a college intern who had bunked in the carriage house. He was awoken at night by the chiming of a servant bell system that no longer worked, its wires having been cut long, long ago. When he rose, he saw a light in the kitchen, in the house's kitchen, and went to investigate. Inside was a tall, well-dressed gentleman, presumably my great-great-grandfather, who vanished in the blink of an eye. All the doors to the house were still locked. Before I go any further, I should give a brief rundown of the Glens and their various tragedies. The house was built in 1883 by my great-great-great-grandfather as a gift to his youngest daughter, my great-great-grandmother, Lula, who married David Glenn. David was a self-made man from Kentucky who found great personal and financial success in Cape Girardeau. He was the president of the first bank there, his family had the first telephone in town, and he ran a dry goods store downtown. The Glens had three children who survived into adulthood, Ruth, Garrett, and Sally, my great-grandmother and my namesake. They were people of status and means, but they didn't look down on anyone. On the contrary, David was known for being generous with his wealth, paving roads and communities, and paying hospital bills for the less fortunate. 
Sally called him the kindest Kentuckian who ever lived. Mm -hmm. But the Glenn's life wasn't all perfect. They lost three children as infants and toddlers, which, though was not unheard of at the time, had taken its toll. Lula's father had also died, and his body was laid out in the house for visitation. And then, their mostly charmed life came to an abrupt and tragic end when Sally was in her mid-teens. The man who handled David's investments at the bank stole all of his money and ran off to Michigan, escaping justice, never to be heard from again. Devastated, David went to a baseball game to take his mind off of the betrayal, and while he was there, his dry goods store burned to the ground in a freak fire. Oh my God. He lost everything he had worked for, and the family was forced to sell their beloved home and most of their belongings. David and Lula moved to a smaller residence in town, but whatever unknown malady set their life into a spiral continued to hound the family. Their adult son, Garrett, died in a car accident. Sally lost a child with her first husband, setting off a series of tumultuous marriages. She seemed to have found happiness with James, my grandpa's father, when he, uh, when my grandpa was just five years old. But then James died of a heart attack in a hotel lobby. David Glenn, too, would die early, prompting Lula to split her later years living with Sally and her older daughter, Ruth. And after a life marred by tragedy, Sally would later on end her own life when my grandfather was an adult, leaving him to find her along with a note about how much she had loved him. Oh my God. Many in the Glen's hometown of Cape Girardeau believed they were cursed by who or what, I don't know. When I was a teen, I inherited Sally's wedding ring from her marriage to my great-grandfather, and for a time I liked to wear it since we share a name and it made me feel close to her. During the time I wore it, my childhood dog died of cancer. I went through a tough breakup, and then I was diagnosed with a life-changing autoimmune disease. I stopped wearing that ring, and I'm glad to say I'm loving my life. Of course, all the things that happened to the Glens could be mere coincidence. After all, every family and every person experiences some tragedy throughout their lives. However, it makes sense that the spirits of the Glenn family might still be in their home, clinging to the only place where they ever truly knew happiness. About a year ago, I got a call from the show Ghost Hunters. They wanted to investigate the Glen House, and they wanted me to come take part. They said the activity at the house was frightening away volunteers who had reached out for help, and I wondered if my ancestors might have had a message for me. I agreed to fly to the house. I was delighted to represent my family and felt good about being there to make sure their story was told in a respectful manner, which it was. When it came time to join the investigators inside the house after dark, I was nervous. The night before I had come in, one of the team members had been scratched while standing next to a letter I had written about how much the house means to me. I feel very drawn to the house, and I can't explain why. So I wondered who, who or what would reach back out when I reached into the dark that night. I wore Sally's wedding ring for the occasion and brought in a book of her writings that we had found. As I sat there trying not to sound as nervous as I felt, asking for the Glenn family members to contact me, nothing happened. Not one thing. We sat in the dark for hours, and the house was as calm and as peaceful as I remembered it being on previous visits. But the moment I was off the property, according to the show's team members, cabinet doors began opening inside the house. We would notice a pattern. Whenever I or my family were there, the activity completely stopped. But when we left, doors opened, including the front door, as if the house itself was trying to show the investigators the way out. The activity continues in my absence. I currently live on the East Coast, far from Missouri. There were accounts of antique coins from Sally's birth year appearing in various rooms and <laughs> even hitting someone, even though there are no coins displayed anywhere in the house whatsoever. The house alarm system going off in the dead of night 
cold spots, the dining room walls rattling hard for no reason, phantom smells, the house locking itself against volunteers, an old funeral announcement from my great-great-great-grandfather, the house's architect, appearing in the room where his body had been laid out, the severed bell system going off, you name it, it happened. Of course, I can only give these tales secondhand as I never experienced any of it myself, and I suspect I never will. I'm not sure why all the activity stops whenever I visit and can only say with certainty that I feel at peace there. Perhaps it's the Glenn family's way of saying, welcome home. Sarah. That's crazy. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. I love like- uh, like Good story, Sarah. Yeah, and I think that's the first time that I can really think of, maybe we had like a Loretta Lynn related story. Yeah. Um, But like uh, a family owned home. Mm Mm-hmm. That then is like turned into this museum, and mm-hmm. now like the the modern family and the old family connecting it, it through history, yeah. and then like a modern ha- haunting encounter. Uh, it's, ghost hunters being interested in exploring it, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. God, the, the early part of the story, um, that is such a, a a fear of mine or like nightmare. I mean, is, is somebody just like taking your money, like like you know, you work, you save, you you do things quote the right way, you invest. And then somebody like in this situation, I just can't imagine they just take all your savings, leave town, and then no one can find them. It's like Bernie Madoff. Right. I mean, we found him, but. uh, Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's it's just crazy to think that used to happen. I I imagine a fair amount, you know, like because there was no FDIC insurance. There's all these federal regulations. There was just like you literally just have like. I mean, Bob. yeah, like, like, yeah, this, this person, but you take yeah. your cash and put it in this bank or whatever. Yeah. They would hold on to more cash in their vaults back then, but also invest it like, you know, like any place does now. Yeah. But if it just like, if the bank burns down, you could just be shit out of luck. Right. Bye-bye all your money. And then also like people could cross state lines and not be prosecuted. I know that before they had like the feds would really like a, a, a federal justice system. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> the double whammy. Of right when that happens, you go to a baseball game to try to forget about your troubles. You you just want a couple hours of like beer and hot dogs and just like. And your store burns down. I know. And then like the deaths and just, I don't know. And then it is interesting that Sarah says that, you know, when she was wearing her grandmother's ring, like her life was marred by a bit of tragedy. Like that family, there might be some strange family curse. I mean, you can't prove it. Because it is all explainable. I know. It could be coincidences, but it is interesting that like, and she referenced that. But, um, God, I'm, uh, I'm not going to, you know, name who, but we have like a friend of ours who just had like a hard, such a good person, had a tough couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, in a variety of ways. And I remember like you were saying that she was like, was I a terrible person in a past life oh. and just being punished? But it is that thing is like, overall, her life has been really good. But there are yeah. those people where it's like, man, it's just one thing after another where there was nothing they could do to prevent it. Mm-mm. It just like the universe just screwing them over and over and over. It's like where I, w- I would start to think like, am I cursed? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's such a hard thing where it's like uh hard work doesn't always equate like success. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always think about it. You're just increasing your odds. Yeah. Like that's where my brain goes with math where it's like, you know, you do things again, quote unquote, the right way. Yeah. You at least try your best yep, to. You have a plan, which is better than no plan. You do your best to execute the plan. And it's like, I would look at like, like there's these Vegas odds makers in the, in the sky, these celestial odd makers, like watching us yeah. and they have little dials and stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. Now he's kicked it up to like, there's an 80% chance things are going to work out, mm-hmm. or 80, but it's never a hundred percent. Oh man. There's always a, a room for just shit happening and just destroying everything. That's just life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, what a positive message. No, I think it's good though. Like, I'm kidding. You, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. But that is, but that is actually why I think, I, I think about that of 
Yes, plan, prepare for the future, all of that, but leave room to enjoy today. Yeah. Because you don't know when something can just happen out of nowhere. Truth, truth. Um, I think we'll probably talk about that more on December's bonus episode. Yeah, totally. Just future planning and life and okay. all of that. Yeah. Uh, are you ready for one more, sta- one more story? I am. Okay. Now, the reason I gave a, a little bit of a warning up top, and I just want to remind parents now, again, it's not that this story is altogether graphic, but it involves teenagers and their cell phones. And I just think like, I, I think the message here, it is so beautiful, but I don't know where you're at with your kids and you just might want to listen to this first. It might even be a powerful conversation tool. But if I were a parent, I would want to hear it first and think about whether or not uh, I want my kids to hear this. Okay. Mostly because, you know, we're all kind of trying to keep tabs on our kids in new ways mm-hmm. in, in this modern era. <sighs> I think you'll find that my story is quite different from traditional ghost stories. And I hope it challenges you and some of your longtime beliefs about the paranormal as it has most certainly challenged mine. I want to preface this story by saying I have had paranormal experiences my entire life and discovered I was highly sensitive to other realms as well as other beings when I was a child. I am a mom and a wife now, and I still have this gift. I have had experiences with both good and evil spirits, as well as things I've never been able to identify, many of which have left me more intrigued than afraid. I've never been physically harmed, so early on I developed a sense of invincibility, knowing they really couldn't do anything beyond appearing visually and audibly. I know that still sounds terrifying, but after so many experiences, I just became braver and more accepting of them. My bravery was tested, however, when I started being touched by something in bed every night in the summer of 2021. At the time, I was working second shift at my job, which meant I would arrive home at about midnight when my husband and two kids were asleep and all was quiet. Our children at this time were 12 and 14, and they both had cell phones. We always made them leave their phones in our room at night so we could charge them and make sure they stayed off of them when they, weren't, when they were supposed to be sleeping. I would have... Uh, I would have to get ready for bed as quietly as possible, trying not to wake my husband. I'd wash my face, brush my teeth, get undressed for bed in complete darkness. My kid's cell phone always sat on my nightstand, plugged into charge, and I would set mine besides theirs. The first time my daughter's phone got pulled off the nightstand, I thought nothing of it. Maybe I had accidentally pulled the charging cord while I was undressing or something. But then her phone started getting pulled off the nightstand almost every single night, sometimes waking me while I was asleep as it hit the floor with a loud thud. However, my phone and my son's phone never moved, despite being right beside my daughter's phone. Why was her phone the only one being pulled off the nightstand? Then I started having the overwhelming feeling of a presence watching over me. It was as if I could feel its eyes boring into me as I laid in bed. If I laid facing the nightstand, I'd feel it right at the bedside staring down at me. If I turned over to lie facing my husband, I could feel it right behind my back. When I'd opened my eyes ever so slightly to take a peek, I swear I saw a dark figure standing over me that would quickly vanish. I would also occasionally hear what sounded like breathing close to my face. It was so intense that I started to sleep with my covers over my face and just to be able to fall asleep. <coughs> then the shoulder tapping started. I'd be dead asleep and I'd feel a light tapping on my shoulder, very similar to how my daughter would wake me if she had a nightmare or a tummy ache. I'm a light sleeper, so I'd always wake up after being tapped, expecting to see my daughter leaning in to whisper that she was scared or that she needed something. I'd groggily turn over, but she was never, ever there. 
I tried to reason with myself saying, maybe I'm having dreams of being touched or maybe I'm having some sort of weird muscle twitch. That's it, right? Right? But this became a regular occurrence every single night and I started feeling light taps and even pushing on my arms and legs. Then it began happening while I was still lying awake in bed rather when I was rather than when I was asleep. So now I was 100% sure I was not just dreaming. Once, I even felt my foot being grabbed and shaken as if whoever was trying to get my attention was getting impatient. I shrieked and I woke up my husband that time, but I didn't want to scare him. So I just said I had had a bad dream. I ended up sharing the details with him the next day of what had been occurring the past few weeks, and he absolutely hated it. He is not a fan of these things, and my experiences has, have always freaked him the hell out. And then he told me that he'd noticed our daughter's phone falling off the nightstand, sometimes before he went to bed, but he hadn't thought too much about it, assuming it had somehow just slipped, a.k.a. he was in denial. Mm-hmm. As the touching, tapping, and straight-up shaking of my legs and arms continued, I took to Reddit, the only thing I could think to do. After all, this was much different than my previous experiences, and it rattled me. I posted my experience on a paranormal thread and got a lot of responses. People were saying I should check my daughter's phone for anything concerning to make sure she was okay, since her phone was the only one being moved. And that made sense to me. However, we already had parental monitoring software for both kids' phones. We'd had it for a few years, and it would monitor for certain things such as adult material, bullying, drug-related content, violence, self-harm, etc. And it would only send an alert when the content was detected so we didn't have to completely invade their privacy and go searching through their texts and all of that. I'd gotten a few alerts from the software that there was an issue with the system processing the phones properly, which happens when it needs to be updated. But it's one of those things that I saw and thought, I'll have my husband deal with that tomorrow. And then it just kind of fell by the wayside for a few weeks due to everyday busyness and such. I decided to go ahead and look at my daughter's phone to see if anything jumped out at me. But everything was normal. 12-year-old girl stuff. Silly text filled with emojis, memes, talks of wishing that school wasn't a thing, some talk of a cute boy in class, selfies with friends, and so on. Nothing concerning or out of the ordinary. Our daughter had always been a happy-go-lucky kid, only the occasional moody preteen episode here and there. And she'd always been open and willing to talk. So finding nothing, I was just glad everything seemed okay. But this also prompted me to remind my husband that the software and the phones needed updating. We decided we'd try to catch this thing in action and remembered we had a deer cam with night vision. We started setting it up every night on the dresser in front of our bed. It was motion activated, so we were hoping that maybe we would get to see what was going on, although also terrified to find out, but we just wanted some answers. And then on August 22nd, 2021, whoever or whatever had been trying to get my attention really amped it up. I was already having trouble falling asleep, so I was just lying in bed wide awake. Then, sure enough, my daughter's phone hits the floor, which makes me jump nearly out of my skin. I turned on the lamp and unplugged it from its charger. Was something pulling on the charging cord? I then set her phone back down beside my phone and her brother's phone, so there were three lying in a row, hers in the middle. I settled back into bed and slid closer to my husband to feel calmer, and I finally drifted to sleep. I awoke later to my left arm being lightly caressed by a warm hand. I thought my husband had rolled over and touched my arm, something he would do sometimes when we were both going to sleep as a comfort thing. I raised myself up a bit to look at him and saw that he was sound asleep with his back to me. I could even hear him softly snoring. He had not moved at all and he had not touched me. 
As I laid there in shock trying to process what had happened, my daughter's phone hits the floor hard as if it had been aggressively thrown to the ground. I immediately felt someone there with me, and my fight or flight kicked into high gear, causing me to involuntarily slam my body into my husband's trying to get away from whatever it was. Of course, this woke him up, and he knew what had happened without me saying a word. We prayed, not knowing why this kept happening and why it wouldn't stop. It was 2.24 a.m. We turned on the lamp and talked, trying to calm down. I got emotional I got emotional about this for the first time since it started, and I don't know why. I couldn't explain why I was feeling the way I was feeling, and my poor husband didn't know what to do. We were somehow eventually able to go back to sleep, and then around 5 a.m., the phone hit the floor again, causing us both to jerk awake and scramble around to turn on the lamps. My husband said, that's it? We're looking at this deer cam footage right now. <laughs> my work computer was the closest computer to us since I had brought it upstairs in my backpack when I'd gotten home that night. We loaded the footage from the deer cam and started looking through it. It only seemed to catch when we moved around in bed and then our reactions after the phone hit the floor. Once the clips showed me suddenly jerking upright in bed around the, looking around the room for the first time when the phone fell, my husband says, what's that? And pointed to the top portion of the video and above my head, we saw two or three white circular orbs bouncing around us and then disappearing. But we didn't see anything else. And then my husband suggested that maybe we should put the deer cam on the floor rather than on the dresser. That way, maybe we can catch the phone actually hitting the floor. Agreeing with him, I got up and moved the camera down to the floor near the foot of the bed, giving it a clear view of the nightstand and the floor. We managed somehow to go back to sleep, mostly out of exhaustion that had resulted from being woken up multiple times throughout the night. We both woke up at about 8.30. I sat up in bed and looked down, expecting to see the deer cam I had placed on the floor. But it wasn't there. I looked around the room and noticed it was back on our dresser where we had put it the first time, and now it was turned backwards, facing the wall. I asked my husband if he moved it, and of course he hadn't. Our daughter came into our room, appearing to have just woken up, when I asked her, Hey, did you see a little camera on the floor this morning? Did you put it on our dresser? Looking confused, she said, No. What camera? I pointed to the camera, which looks just like a square box, and she said, That's a camera? I've never even seen that before. Then I went to my son's room and I asked him about moving it. He was also confused and said, I haven't even been in your room all morning. After hearing this, my husband said, all right, let's watch that footage. We loaded the footage onto my laptop once again, and there was a new video clip amongst the ones we had previously watched. He clicked it and my heart dropped as the view initially showed the floor and the nightstand where I had placed it. Then we saw movement, <laughs> shaky and erratic, as the camera appeared to be lifted up from its position on the floor, shake around, and then stop suddenly with the last view being the wall. My husband and I sat there in complete disbelief, and I decided that while everyone was gone the next day and I was alone, I was going to confront this thing and demand an answer. I had absolutely had it. The next day, when the kids were off to school and my husband left for work, I sat in bed trying to plan what I needed to do. One of my two cats came in and jumped up on the bed to greet me, something he'd always done. This time, though, he stopped purring and became still as a statue, staring intensely into the corner of the room. I looked over and saw nothing, but the presence in the room could be felt without a doubt. Well, here we go, I guess. And I began speaking. Hello, I see you're still with us. I know you're here for a reason since you've been touching me for weeks now. You know, you make it hard for me to sleep. And now you've been waking up my husband, too. Why are you here? and it was met with silence. All that could be heard were the usual sounds of the AC running in the house and the occasional bird outside. 
My cat was still staring into the corner of the room, motionless. I attempted to pet him and snap him out of his trance that he seemed to be in, but he completely ignored my touch and never took his eyes off the wall. The feeling of being watched was so intense and the presence was remaining strong. And so I pressed on. What do you want? I've had a lot of experiences with things like you. Are you here to tell us something? If you're just here to scare us and wake us up, you're not welcome here. We will not tolerate this anymore. Again, met with silence. This one-sided conversation went on for about 10 minutes with my cat never taking his eyes off the corner of the room. And then I got annoyed and I said, I know you're here. What do you want? And then the power suddenly shut off in the house. All the lights in the rooms went dark. The hum of the AC system throughout the house immediately stopped, and I sat there in total disbelief. My hat had involuntarily slapped my mouth shut as if to keep me from screaming. And I said, okay, uh, okay, I hear you. I see what you did. Wow. I didn't know what else to say. (laughs) My cat was looking above me at the wall above our headboard, and his eyes were huge. His pupils completely dilated. After a few minutes of just sitting there in silence and disbelief, the power came back on. I decided to end the conversation by saying, please, I just need to know why you're here. I'm listening. But if your only purpose is to cause problems and to scare us, then you must leave. Of course, there was no response. I then decided I was done talking and went about my day. I was not going to let this stress me out anymore. About a day or so later, I got a notification from my phone monitoring app noting that there was an alert regarding my daughter's phone. My stomach dropped as I clicked on the alert, which said severe. All the blood drained from my face and my heart immediately started pounding. I clicked clicked on the content link. It opened to what appeared to be an entry in the notes app. My vivacious, precious, sweet 12-year-old daughter had written things I couldn't have imagined she'd ever write. She wrote about her thoughts on ending her life and leaving everyone behind. I had no idea she felt this way. We've always been close and she had never given any indication that anything was wrong and is such a cheerful, playful kid. I was in complete shock. We're a tight-knit family that's always been open about mental health and encouraged being open and honest about these things. I had always told my kids, I had told my kids before about my uncle that had died by suicide and what a devastating toll that had taken on my family. I was only six at the time and we'd been really close. It was extremely traumatic and still affects me to this day. To see suicidal ideations written by my precious daughter triggered such panic and fear within me. I just sat staring at my phone, eyes full of tears, as I read what my daughter had written. I then looked up and said through tears, Was this it? Is this what you were trying to tell me? All was quiet, but deep down I knew I had my answers. The minute my daughter got home from school that day, we had a serious heart-to-heart discussion, and after initially being angry at me, she opened up about a lot of things she'd been dealing with that she'd never told me before. We cried multiple times through this tough conversation, but ultimately it went very well. She started seeing a therapist and has since learned how to manage anxiety and depression when they try to rear their ugly, scary heads. And I was reminded of the harsh reality that just because someone always seems happy, they can still be struggling daily to hide their demons they're battling internally. And since that day, I haven't received any other visits at night. No more taps on my shoulder, no more shaking of my arms or legs, and no more phones being thrown on the floor. This experience made me question everything I've ever known about the paranormal and their abilities, and I feel incredibly blessed that someone from beyond this plane fought for weeks to quite possibly save my daughter's life. Wow. I know, it's like like so hard not to cry reading that story, because it's, I mean... Wow, that's intense. Yeah, it's heavy, it's intense, and also, like, we don't often think about the paranormal 
like, I don't know, we've had like a couple like warning stories. You know, there was mm-hmm. like that um, story not that long ago from the fan side. Uh, like the mom and the kids like went home midday to grab something and they like couldn't get into like a bedroom in the house or she was like hearing like her grandmother's voice like don't like get out of this house get out of this house mm-hmm. well people had broken into their house oh yes and yes, were hiding yes, in yes. the room that they were trying to get into like mm-hmm. it's we just have this like blanket idea that the paranormal is always you know scary and they're out to like malevolent these yeah, things, yeah you know that most times they're out to, I don't want to say get us but like yeah. you know spook us or whatever but it's like in this instance this is so incredibly powerful mm-hmm. and this is so beautiful and like again this is like why you know i wanted like parents to just kind of maybe preview this themselves yeah. and you know i don't know maybe you need to install monitoring software on your kids phones yeah it's like, so like a wild thank, thing thank god they did yeah wow and also just like crazy like that this other world entity entities they mm-hmm. were not giving up Mm-hmm. Like who was that? Some relative, maybe. Well, she yeah. right. She says that her uncle died by suicide when she was six. So it's like, is it him? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's no explanation, but like, what a what a powerful tool to mm-hmm. to make you take pause and and figure out like. And the mom just like not giving up, like trying to talk to the spirit. I don't know. It was just so many pieces of like, wow. <laughs> yeah, true. Shocking. Yep, yep. Man, great stories this week. Yeah, I thought so too. Hmm. Hmm. Do you want to thank your Annabelle's first? Or oh yeah, I, I put my book away. Sorry, that story like really. Yeah, yeah. Did, did a number on me. Uh, I w- you know what, Dan? I would love to do some Annabelle's. I'd like to thank the following Annabelle's for this month making uh, the Bad Magic Giving Tree a possibility. Mm-hmm. Burger Blalock, Michelle, Brenna Young, Cindy, Chelsea DeBell, Unicorn Sprinkles, <laughs> Rob Nordenstrom, Essie. Cody McCaskill and Lee Drummond. Nice. Uh, I would like to thank the following Annabelle's as well. Thank you so much for helping us uh, with everything we do here, including the Giving Tree, Kelsey Steins, Bailey Moore, the Emo Dragon. <laughs> I like it. Coot Jr. Okay. Lil Coot. Uh, Lil Coot. Uh, Tasha Luke, Faith Lammers, Cameron Laurie, Jillian Troy, Rod Long Von Hugendong. Yeah. Huge and dong. <laughs> and Dylan Saunders. Oh, I like it. And I have a handful of spoopy shout outs to Frank the Cutie Pie from Grace the Cutie Patootie. Happy birthday. To Ryan from Ashley Mum, Terrence, Nemo, and Gumball. Happy 17th birthday, Bub. I love you. Thanks for being the coolest, creepiest person I know. You will remain my favorite brother unless you keep jumping out of places and scaring the shit out of me. Then you will be demoted. <laughs> To Bo from Bailey, thank you for introducing me to Scared to Death. I love you. To Fish Butt from Liz, happy 21st birthday, Bubby. Love you and appreciate you so much. To Carl from Emery and Joseph, happy birthday. And to Charlotte, a.k.a. Muffin, from uh, from mom from your mom, Sharice, happy birthday. Oh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking about that scary thing. I'm like, man, I haven't scared anybody in a while. But then I was picturing like scaring my mom or somebody. Oh, God, please. No. No, I might kill her. Donna would be good. Donna would sister, be a good scare. But um, my mom, it's like, I would be worried about literally killing her. Yeah. She would like <laughs> stumble backwards and, right. oh gosh. Uh, that is our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you to Tyler C. Editing and publishing today's show. Thanks to Heather Rylander organizing the My Story emails. Book editor Drew Atana polishing and preparing listener stories for book number five. I found my first story this week, and Olivia Lee found the second. 
We are on YouTube if you'd like to watch our show and on Facebook and Instagram where we post pics that accompany episodes and more at Scared to Death Podcast. We have a private Facebook group called Creeps and Peepers full of fellow horror lovers for you to meet. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. Magic Productions. John, the bartender, was working again, and we had what started off as another nice chat about the area after dinner. He is a cutie. If I was 30 years younger, I'd take him home with me. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.